Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. After years of being told by her doctors that her symptoms were everything but colon cancer, Dawn Eicher was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer at the very young age of 36. Just a few short months after completing her treatment, Dawn is now leveraging her fighting spirit, enthusiasm, and positive attitude to do everything she can to ensure that what happened to her does not continue to happen to other young people. Join me for my conversation with a real colon cancer hero, Dawn Eicher. Dawn, thanks so much for making the time to join me today. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. And the, fir- the first thing I need to ask you as I was reading your bio is uh, where are you with your disease and how, is, how are you progressing on your road to become NED, no evidence of disease? Where are you with that right now? Well, I'm one of the, the very fortunate stage four uh, patients that has responded really, really well to treatment. Um, I've had a lot thrown at me, but uh, as of uh, last May, I had um, my final surgery and I did four rounds of chemo, four more months of chemo and uh, finished about six months ago. And I am 10 months NED and hopefully we'll make it to that year mark without any problems. And so there's a lot to celebrate. We're really, really fortunate that, uh, you know, we've been able to keep this at bay and, and now I can really start to get healthy again and start to really dig into the advocacy part of it because it's so important to me. That's wonderful news, wonderful news. And before we get into your advocacy, uh, let's kind of back up a little and just kind of, if you would, just kind of share your story going back to when you first started seeing symptoms and, and, and take us through that. You know, it's it's interesting because I couldn't even remember how long it had been that I've had symptoms. I knew I was in my 20s, but I didn't remember at what age because I think all your 20s kind of run together. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I finally um, I finally found evidence uh, by another when I ordered my records um, that it started in 1998. I was 21 years old, and I know I had had it before then even. Um, you know, maybe a year before I kept having bleeding with bowel movements. That was my main sign and my main symptom. And um, I knew enough that it, I knew it was bad enough to go to the doctor. Uh, You know, went to the doctor. They thought it was a little unusual too. Um, You know, I'd been under some stress. So they decided to um, do and uh, order an upper endoscopy and a lower endoscopy or colonoscopy and try to get to the bottom of it and figure out what was going on because I had a fecal occult blood test that came back positive. So, you know, the doctor did try to do some testing and some screening. We did the upper endoscopy first, and sure enough, it did come back um, with some kind of a bleeding ulcer, or there was something that they thought might have been causing the irritation that would, so you'd see blood. Um, So because they did find something, and because it looked like it was something that would be easily treatable, they decided to not allow me to have the lower colonoscopy. They didn't want to... Um, spend the money, basically. It was the insurance company that decided I didn't need that. It was unnecessary because of my age. So that's where my tumor was. My tumor was sitting actually in my, it was about two centimeters when it was found um, at the end of the rectum. So I was trying to escape my doctor's always joke, but (laughs) (laughs) 
it was uh, it was a pretty large tumor, and I wasn't dying. I you know I had bleeding on and off. Um, I know I went specifically to the hospital in two thousand six or five because I had so much bleeding that it scared me. And even them, oh well, it's probably just a fissure. It's hemorrhoids. It's something else. Uh, you know, all throughout my pregnancies, I had horrible, horrible time um, going to the bathroom because the tumor was just growing and growing. And, um, you know, I had my daughter first, my son was second. And during that pregnancy is when it really just exploded. Like it was so painful. I was so tired. I, and I thought, wow, this is a really different pregnancy <laughs> than the last one. Um, because it was, it was so much harder on me and, um, kept going to the, you know, the OBGYN telling them, listen, I think something's really wrong. I can't go to the bathroom. It took them another 10 months. I had my son. <laughs> took another 10 months before they finally said, let's do a colonoscopy. And sure enough, I had an eight centimeter tumor that was causing almost a full blockage um, right at the end of my tract. And so I was really lucky that I didn't have anything worse um, happen, especially being pregnant. And, um, you know, they found it, but I was diagnosed um, within two weeks being stage four and it had spread to my liver. So it was... Um, it was quite the uh, roller coaster ride there at first, not knowing what your stage is and everything else. But to find out that my symptoms have been going on that long, and then also, um, you know, that it was missed during pregnancy and it could have been dangerous for the baby, you know, it, it's it, it was a long road and a long lesson to not always trust your doctors that you know what's going on and, and to trust your gut. Sure. And how you were how old when you were finally diagnosed, Don? I was 36. So this had been going on for 15 years? 15 years and at least a dozen doctors. At least, you know, at least five or six different institutions were from private practice to some of the best med schools. Um, you know, I'd seen clinics there and they none of them caught this. So you're a mom of a little one and a mom of a newborn and now you're facing a cancer diagnosis. What what yes. was your, what was your reaction when you got this news? <clears throat> well, right away, you know, you focus on your children and your family, and you know, I I don't think I'm scared for myself. I don't think I've ever been scared for myself, but it's always been something that when I think of my children not having a mother or growing up without me, that's when it's like a punch in the gut. You know, I mean, it's it you know you really you read everything online, and the you know survival rates are so bleak. Everything says 8% and you're thinking, I'm never going to make this and I can't believe this is happening to our family. So it's pretty shocking until you really get into, you know, figuring out that, that the stats are a lot older than we think they are. They're based on Medicare, you know, percentages and, and your percentage is not as low. I mean, it's still not great, but, you know, it made me feel like there's a lot of hope and I can still beat this. And I was lucky that my my disease, uh, although it had spread, it was still considered surgically curable. So I was very lucky. So uh, just to re so they diagnosed the uh, colon cancer and uh, what was the agreed upon treatment plan at that point? Uh, well, really, we sought two opinions right away. Uh, that's just something I do anyway, <laughs> but I highly recommend to everyone. Um, and you know, uh, the UC system has a different approach now. They don't really go after it with radiation as much anymore. Stage three and stage four, their, their first line is chemotherapy only and see how you respond. Um, for me, 
I didn't, you know, I, I went to a different uh, hospital uh, in San Diego at that time and met with a couple of private practice doctors, and they had a different approach with radiation. And for me, because of the pain I was in and everything else, I couldn't imagine just waiting to see what chemo would do. If it didn't do anything, I was in so much pain and anguish that I really wanted to treat it locally. So we went with radiation. Um, we went with a different uh, private practice doctor, and it worked out really well. Um, you know, but I, I, I did do, I did Zlox instead of full Fox, um, which is the oral chemotherapy, uh, version of 5-FU. And, uh, I tolerated that much better than we tried the regular pump for a while and that was not pretty. Um, but yeah, we decided to do radiation and chemo. Um, and the original plan was surgery first, but I decided to do neoadjuvant, which is a little different. Uh, which means chemo before surgery. Uh, it was just something I felt strongly about. And so I kind of went off my own. I did my own algorithm. <laughs> I've kind of forged a different path than a lot of um, patients do. Um, but it's paid off. So, you know, I'm crossing my fingers that that continues. Well, it sounds like you're, you're on, the, on the right path. And at what point did you decide to start channeling your energies into advocacy and making your voice heard? You know, really, I wanted to right away, but uh, I joke that, you know, two years ago in March, I didn't even know I had cancer. <laughs> you know, last year, I was recovering from my major um, surgery to remove my primary tumor, and I wanted to get out there. My husband said, no, <laughs> you need to rest still. We're not there yet. Um, you know, so towards the end of this year, when I was finally off chemo, I just said, I really want to give back to this community that has given so much to me. Uh, you know, it really means a lot to patients to have the support, but also to, you know, give you ideas. Everyone shares ideas about their treatment and their doctors and what's coming up and what new drugs are available and clinical trials. And, you know, the networking was so important uh, for me, for my health, just to continue. So I decided I really wanted to give back to these organizations that have given so much to me. And um, so, yeah, in January, I decided, okay, enough's enough, and I'm going to start really being a voice for the young people that are developing this disease in an early age, and we don't know why. Um, so, you know, I guess I'm self-appointed, but <laughs> I really wanted to be that voice. I wanted to be the person that was going to take action and really start to make some waves so that um, we'll see some changes happen. So just so I'm clear, you said you started in January. We're talking about January 2015, correct? Correct. So in let's talk about what you've managed to accomplish in less than 90 days. I, I am <laughs> astonished. And my, hat's, my hat is off to you for all that you've done. But let the listeners know, you know what you've accomplished in less than 90 days. Well, I decided that uh, the best way to get my voice out there and to try to make change is to get the public support, uh, also to raise awareness in the public. So I started a uh, petition on change.org. I had signed a few myself before, so I knew about the organization, and they have really been wonderful. They've been very supportive. Um, I started a petition called Never Too Young, and it's supposed to uh, support those that... Um, you know, weren't diagnosed. They were misdiagnosed or their insurance companies denied them uh, being able to have the screening that could have caught their disease earlier. So, you know, we, it started out by maybe a couple thousand being signed and then we were so excited by 10,000 because I guess the last petition that someone tried to start 
only it fizzled out at about 2,500. So everyone's like, well, if she makes it past that, we'll be doing great. And it made it to 5,000. It made it to 10,000. And now we're up to 70,000 signatures and, um, and growing. Uh, we've been getting some media support. Um, you know, and a lot of the advocacy groups have been very sweet in posting my story and the link to the, web, uh, the petition on their websites as well. And, um, you know, it's really opened a lot of doors and opened a lot of, um, uh, a lot of avenues for other people's voices to be heard about this issue. Because if you actually read through the petition in the comments, everybody's been touched by this. They either have a, a cousin or a neighbor or a sister or a brother or best friend that they've lost to this disease at an early age because they weren't allowed to be screened. Um, you know, or they, they didn't even think that they would have colon cancer because they were too young. So, you know, this has been an awareness campaign as much as it's been something to support our cause to try to get the screening age lowered. And by that, I mean, not every single person in, in the country is going to get a colonoscopy at 20, but those that have symptoms, the doctors should be able to decide and not the insurance companies that they need that additional testing. How have you managed to uh, blow past that 2,500 number? Uh, what, what's, what tools have you leveraged to get you to 70,000 signatures at this point? Well, you know, I, I think that my story is one that most a lot of people don't know about. They're not aware. Um, so I think that my story reaches people at a different level because they see someone that was normal, had a normal life. You know, I'm using air quotes right now because normal, what's normal? But, you know, I had a very average, you know, American life and it was taken away very quickly and very easily by hearing those words, you have cancer. I think a lot of people didn't, don't realize that it can strike you this young. It's not an old man's disease. So I think it, you know, people were related to that and I think they were willing to share it and sign it a lot more. And Change.org um, has been very supportive. One of their um, higher-up uh, executives there actually lost one of his best friends, I believe, at 32 uh, to colon cancer as well. So it was something they were passionate about, and they were willing to help promote and um, put on their website and push out to people. So that was very helpful in getting our word out. And how many sign what is your goal? How many signatures are you looking to get? Well, I'm trying to get 100,000. 100,000 is kind of the gold standard as far as bringing something, you know, to the government and asking for them to do something. Um, really, I'm going to probably be focusing on the task force, the task force, uh, the forces in the U.S. to try to make the recommendations or to get the research done in order for the government to make these changes and close loopholes and, and um, you know, force the insurance companies to pay for certain things. That'll be, you know, I, I'm learning a lot about how the government works <laughs> <laughs> and how all of these programs work. And it's been an eye opener um, for sure. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't dissuade me from, from keeping at this and to keep it moving. And I'm just going to collect as many as I can. And uh, we'll take it to the appropriate parties when we can this year. What is your timeline for this year? If, if everything goes the way you would like it to go, Kind of take me through the the you the future as to what your plan is. Well, uh, they started uh, and formed a coalition. It's called the Never Too Young Coalition, and it's basically over a dozen advocacy groups, just colon cancer advocacy groups, that have banded together to try to unify and make this this young onset problem a priority. So they're the ones that are going to help us lobby either with the government. Um, with insurance companies, with the organizations that set the guidelines, 
so that's the first step. And then we're already organizing, you know, different events that will highlight those results, that will highlight the tests that have been paid for, the recent studies that have been published. And we're going to try to get in front of these large organizations. I've actually been in contact with the American Cancer Society, and they already told me how important this issue is to them. They're putting this in the front. So it is a big deal. People are paying attention now. And something is happening. We just want it to happen quickly. So, <laughs> you know, I'm hoping to go back to Washington Washington a couple of times. I'm hoping to talk to some people out here in California. You know, I'm hoping to get in front of as many groups as will listen and try to see what it's going to take to make these changes happen. And I, I read recently that uh, a fairly well-known celebrity has gotten wind of this. You want to share the story? Yeah. You know, uh, I was reached, uh, they reached out to me. It's called aplus.com. That's Ashton Kutcher's new uh, production company and um, e our website and he, that he developed with special interest stories and try to raise attention for groups that need it <laughs> and voices that need to be heard. And so they reached out to me and they just did, featured me in an article on their website and it's on there. Um, so you can click and link to uh, the petition as well. And so we're hoping to see a lot of support that way too, because they push it out on Twitter and everything. And so we're hoping to uh, get a lot more signatures hopefully soon. It's exciting. That's awesome. You, you, your, your message is so inspiring, Dawn. And what I want to ask you is, is I notice as I look at the Facebook, the Colon Cancer Alliance Facebook group, there's a lot of undertones of this is in it, quote, air quotes to your, use your term, embarrassing disease. And that the disease that people don't like to talk about the symptoms, particularly the people who are younger. Talk about that. And, and, and you know, if, if anybody's listening that might be experiencing what you experienced at the age you did, what do you, what's your message? I don't know if you've seen that commercial that's, uh, I think it's by the, uh, American Medical Association on TV and it's, you know, the person, the woman or the man's at the nail salon or he's at work and he's talking da 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 I can't get a word in edgewise. He goes to the doctor and the doctor's like, what's going on? He's like, nothing. You know, that's the, the idea is that people, people don't want to talk about this. They're afraid to even talk about it with their doctors. And I think it's because, you know, I think A, no one wants to think they're a hypochondriac and that something really could be wrong with them. And B, I think that everyone's embarrassed to talk about colons and poop and anything that's a normal biological thing that we go through. But for some reason, there's still such a taboo on it, um, you know, that a lot of people don't like to talk about it. And it wasn't that long ago that that's how breast cancer was. No one wanted to talk about it. It was embarrassing. It was a woman's body part that was sensitive, you know, and, and they've been able to change that and stem the tide. And I'm hoping we do the same, um, you know, in our colon cancer community that we really pull together and we talk about things frankly, because um, young people, especially those in, um, you know, Latino communities or African-American communities, they're even less likely to get checked. Um, and it's rising in those populations like crazy. You know, so one of the things is even in the older communities, they're trying to outreach and, and send some programs out there to let them know that this is not something to be embarrassed about. This is something to get taken care of. Those over 50 need to be screened. I believe in the African community, it's 45 so, you know, I think I believe in all of those programs to try to get the message out. They need to be checked and that anyone younger, if they have any kind of symptoms, especially those, there are some that have not had any symptoms except just an uncomfortable 
uh, feeling in their stomach and some pain and maybe bloating or change in bowel habits. All of that is still something that needs to be addressed and that doctors need to be making sure that they understand exactly what's causing it and not assume that it's something else. So that's the one message I have is don't let them assume it's something. Don't let them assume it's hemorrhoids or an ulcer or something else. And until they can get to the bottom of it and prove it, keep pushing for tests, keep pushing for screening, and those that can be screened need to go. It's a great message. Um, you know, getting the diagnosis is, is always de devastating, and I imagine someone will listen to this podcast. They themselves or someone they care deeply about just received a colon cancer diagnosis. What message would you share with that person, Dawn? Don't believe the statistics. You're not a statistic. And one thing I think some of the best advice I ever received was that cancer is like a snowflake. Every person is like a snowflake. We're all unique and we're all individuals. And just because someone else did poorly or did well does not predict what's going to happen with you. But what you can do is you can take control over things like your diet, exercise, and a positive attitude, whether you're going to therapy or whether you're going um, to do Reiki healing or whatever makes you feel good and feel in control of something. Because a lot of times you feel out of control because, because everything is. Um, you know, but believe in yourself and believe that there's always hope because there is, you know, there's an 8% chance that I'll make it according to the statistics and I'm going to blow right by them. And I believe that. And if I don't believe that, I think I'm putting myself at a much greater risk of, of passing from this disease. So stay positive And, you know, just if your medical team isn't doing it for you, find another one. You know, I've, I've already gone through, I think, six oncologists. But you have to go, you have to wait until you find the perfect team for you and you have to find the right surgeons and the right doctors and make sure that you believe in your treatment plan and stick to it and, and just fight like hell. A great message. Uh, for the listeners, I will be posting all of the links you mentioned, the change.org link, the link to Ashton Kutcher's site, as well as a link to uh, the Never to Young site uh, on the website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. Again, that's thecoloncancerpodcast.com. Dawn, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I wish you continued success in, on your mission and more importantly, continued good health to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.